I'm doing a series on the best life out of Philippians. And God gives us in his word the direction that we could take to live the best life possible. I mean, that's really what the Bible's about. And today we're in Philippians 2, and I've entitled this sermon, Get Ready and Your Opportunity Will Come. Now, these guys fulfilled potential that they had this year. And I want you to know that God has given a plan for your life And there's some things that will determine whether you fulfill your potential. He has a plan for you. Will you fulfill your potential and his plan for you? That's what today is about. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move mightily today. You care about each person here. You love them from the bottom of your heart, Lord. And God, we return our love to you today, asking that you would speak to us with eager anticipation, Lord, to take your word and apply it to our hearts and lives. I pray that you'd meet us, teach us, grow us, bless us today in Jesus' name, amen. Get ready and your opportunity will come. What what do I mean by that? Fulfillment of the plan that he has for your life. John Wooden was a pretty good coach too. Do you remember him from UCLA? Known as the Wizard of Westwood and a great Christian man, won 12 national championships, I believe seven in a row at one point. And uh, he always honored God, but he had... Uh, an unusual thing. In those days, if you were a great player, you, the best players in the nation went to UCLA because they were winning it every year. And so if you were um, a player, you'd go there, but you'd go for four years. Now you can go one year or two years and get drafted in the NBA. They didn't do that in those days, in Wooden's days. So if you were the best point guard in the nation, you'd be going on to a team where there was one or two players ahead of you that would get time before you would, which meant... As the best high school point guard in the nation, for example, you would not see the floor for two years if you went to UCLA. You wouldn't see playing time for two years because the other guys were the best players too and now they're juniors and seniors. So you have to wait your time. And you didn't know if you could fulfill your potential, but John Wooden used to take his players aside that were new and the freshmen that were some of the best and he would say this to them, this should be your attitude, I will get ready and then perhaps my chance will come. I will get ready, and then perhaps my chance will come. Well, I would change that a little bit for you today and say, if you get ready, your opportunity will come in God. The thing, the big thing that he's planned for you, if you get ready, you will fulfill the potential that he has for you. And there are five things that I want to pull out of the text today, five points that I want to make that I believe help us fulfill that potential God has for us. And here's the first, out of Philippians 2, work hard. To build God's kingdom. Here's what it says in verse 12. Dear friends, you always follow my instruction. You always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. So this is the pastor speaking to them. Work hard. That might have sounded funny to you to to hear me say work hard as if it depends on us. Well, it does depend on whether you decide to do what God has given you to do. Work hard to show results of your salvation, obeying God with deep deep reverence and fear. So you know, this is a a, a book that was written in the original language that was Greek, and work hard is actually just one word in the Greek, and what it it means, uh, this verb means in the Greek, is that to work to full completion. So now we're talking about your life, and it says, it's not talking about work hard to win your salvation, because that comes by grace. It's talking about taking your whole life to fulfill what God would like to do with the plan that he has for you. 
Because in Paul's day, this word, the one that translated work hard, was used for working a mine. So as we think of your life and you're working hard to fulfill what God's given and the working of a mine, when they would work a mine, they'd have, to, they'd have to work it just right to pull out everything that it was capable of, the gold, the silver, the ore. It's all in there, but you have to mine it. You have to work it. You have to find it. You have to, you, you have to harvest that gold. And it was also used for the harvesting of, of uh, the fields and the crops. So if you're going to harvest, you want to get every corner and you want to make sure you get everything just right. You don't destroy the harvest. So it means that you're working hard to fulfill the full potential of that field, working hard to fulfill the full potential of that mine, the treasure that would come out of it. And what God is saying to you is, I want you to work hard so that the full potential that I've given you will be uh, harvested. That the treasure that I have designed to bring through you will be delivered for the world to see. And one of the wonderful things about being a Christian is the knowledge that God has a plan for my life. Ephesians 2.10 says that he created you and he has a plan for your life. He's already planned what he wants to do with you. And you are one who will determine whether you reach the fulfillment of everything that he's planned. And there's some things uh, that we need to do and one of them is to work hard. So here's a thought for you. Are you working hard when it comes to the fulfillment of all that God would do through your life and ministry in this world? Are you working hard or hardly working at those things? Are you thinking about what he might want to do through your life to touch others? Are you behind the scenes putting in what it takes to bring the fulfillment of those things? Dave Brown is is not here this service. We allowed them to leave because they were here in first service through the whole service, the team. And I really embarrassed him the first service. But he's 70 years old and I feel like he's lived enough life and been faithful enough where it's okay to talk about his faithfulness. We don't like to elevate men too much here, but the Bible says that we can look at men who've been good examples and learn from them. Follow me as I follow Christ. So let me tell you about Dave Brown. Some of you know his story, but others don't. The coach who was just up here. Uh, I remember years ago, it must have been a year, maybe a year and a half before our school started, there was an article that came out in the Oregonian and I didn't like it. It was about the new church that would be coming on this site right here, or, or, or the church relocating, and the new high school. Now, remember, we had no students, and we had no faculty at this time when it comes out, but we had a dream that we felt the Lord had put in our hearts. And so we started working towards it, and we shared it with the Oregonian when they came to talk. And the title of the article, I remember it because I didn't like it at all. The title was Obstacles to Growth. That's what they chose to lead with, you know, in the story. So I, I like to keep it a little more positive than that. But hey, we're in Oregon, and this is the Oregonian. So, so that's, what they, that's what they led with, you know. <clears throat> but one of the things that happened is there was a coach from Southern California who had retired and was living in the area. It was Coach Brown. And he read that, and he had always thought in his mind, he'd been a pretty good coach where he was, and he had retired, been retired for a couple of years. He'd always, he remembered in Southern Cal, there was a Catholic high school that started and rose to prominence as a basketball program in the state very quickly. And as he watched that happen, and he said to God, God, if you ever give me an opportunity to go to a new Christian high school to do that for you, I'd sure like it. And the moment that he read that, his wife said the Holy Spirit quickened his heart when he read the Oregonian, new school coming. And he came and dropped off an application at the church. Now, remember, we have not one student signed up yet. So when I saw the application, I thought it was a joke. Because, because here's what it said. Dave Brown, 
coached in California, third winningest coach in the history of Southern California, and in the coaching hall of fame. And so I read this and I think Rogers or at it again, you know, or 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 Alex, Alex, and I told Karen, tell him this is funny. She said, What do you mean? I said, this, this can't be true. This guy's coming to us when 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 we, you know, we don't even have a student. We we can't even ensure we'll have five guys to put on a floor, right? In our in our first year. And she said, well, no, this, this guy's real. This wasn't Alex or Roger. This, he, I saw him come in. He dropped it off, distinguished gentleman. And I, I said, why would he do that? <laughs> but you know, when God calls you to something, he gives you a sense. Now, we're speaking about your life now, not Dave Brown's. But when God calls you to something, he'll give you a sense. And it may look like not much to, to attain or obtain as you take hold of it. But when you take hold of what he says, he blesses things to proportions beyond our wildest dreams. So Dave came, and the first year we played a JV schedule, second year we started, and unbelievably, now here's, here's what Dave didn't say and they wouldn't tell you because even those boys are humble. As a matter of fact, Donnie Moore did a chapel. Uh, uh, he, he, did a, he was a chaplain at, he did chapels, but he spoke to the team afterwards because he's an athletic chaplain. And he talked to, you know, the 14 players, and he said, who's, uh, who's ranked number three in the state? And they told him, who's ranked number two? And they would tell him about this team, and he said, who's ranked number one? Not one of the boys would say. It was just quiet, and, and he said, who's ranked number one? And it was silence, and one of them said, well, we're, we're ranked number one. He said he's never seen anything like that. They were so, so humble about it, but they, they carried that heart of their coach, and I believe, uh, to, to a great degree, the heart of the Lord, to be to dominate with humility, that, that thing. But <laughs> Here, here's what Dave wouldn't tell you. Now, now, here's a guy who had an incredible career already. He's retired. Since he's come back, in the first six years, remember, we played, we, we, they, they petitioned to play two levels above. We would have been 1A. They've been playing 3A. We're, we're, we're most likely the, the smallest 3A school in the state. They've won three out of four state championships. And, and they set a record in Oregon that's never before uh, happened this year. They, played in, they have played in six straight championship games, and no boys team in the history of Oregon at any level has ever done that. And, and you know, when someone asked me, told me about that, and asked me how I felt, I said, man, that is humbling. Because you know you can't do that as a brand new school unless God's somehow involved. You see, does God just pick a school and say, I want to... You know, I want to make, you know, those, those guys state champs. No, I don't think it works that way. But I think you heard it from his mouth. When you find a man who loves God and honors God with their life and wants to honor God in everything they do, and then you get a team who carries that same heart, and then they're willing to work to do whatever it takes and be excellent in their field. I'm talking about you now. They're willing to work and do everything it takes to be excellent with that heart to honor God. He'll just show up and honor them and honor you when that heart comes. That is unbelievable, and it's so humbling to know that's happened. It's a hilarious miracle that the Lord's done among us. Jesuit was on track to also uh, be in the state championship for six years in a row. They've been four, but they lost in the semis. I'm not saying I like it, but I'm saying it might be a while longer before someone breaks that record. And, and we, I don't think we can take credit for it. I think somehow the Lord is among us. You say, does he like sports? It appears to me that he does. I don't, I don't know. I don't, you know, I think he likes everything when people honor him. And I think sports are highly visible, so he'll reach people, right? He'll reach them in your work. He'll reach them in sports. He'll reach them in comedy. That's why whatever he's given you and whoever you are, if you'll live to honor him, he will bring glory to his name through your life. 
See, Dave worked hard to become more like Jesus. He worked hard to help his players become more like Jesus. I mean, that's one of the great things about these coaches and teachers at the school and these elders and pastors here, that every, every one of them want to honor God with their lives and they want to know him and help people to know him. And Dave carried that and they honored God and God honored himself because he said, those are my kids, those are my people and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do something special among the people at Horizon. He's doing lots of special stuff, but it's okay to talk about this today, you know, because it's one of the special things that he has done. They worked hard. Here's the question. Are you working hard? Are you working hard to fulfill your potential? Are you working hard to honor God? Romans 12, 11 says this, never be lazy, but work hard. There it is again in the Bible. And serve the Lord enthusiastically. So if you want to reach your full potential, one of the things you got to do is work hard to build this kingdom. Let it be part of your focus and, and part of your heart as, as the thing that is, that is driving you the most to glorify God with your life. Second thought here I see from the scriptures. If you want to reach your full potential and seize the, the opportunity God has for your life, value God working in your life even more than God working through your life. We see it all the time, people who have big dreams for God but they don't live right behind the scenes. They don't really know him. They're not really grafted into the vine and they can sometimes cause more damage than good, right? They have a heart to do something for God and something rises up with visibility, but behind the scenes, they, they aren't living right and they hurt people and they hurt the cause of Christ. So you can see why God wants us to value his work in our life more than his work through our life. You can't really make him fully known until you know him better. He has to work in us so we can really show who he is. And we have to value that. Here it is in Philippians 2. For God is working in you, giving you the desire. Look what happens when he works in you. He gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So when he works in you, he'll even give you the right desires. When you stay connected to him close, he'll show you the path that he wants to take you on. You say, well, how do I really know? Well, here's, here's what he said. Come close to me and I'll come close to you. So how do we know him better? Well, there's a few things that are, that are basic fundamentals. This basketball team won largely because they, they, they do the fundamentals. And if you're going to be successful in life as a Christian, you have to take hold of the fundamentals and, and allow him to work in you in those places away from the public view, in the prayer closet. Prayer, that's how you know him. I, I know that you pray at the table and and I know that we pray in public meetings like this, but here's a question. Do we find time to get alone in the prayer closet at home and talk to God? You know, prayer isn't us just saying to God, but it's, prayer's a two-way conversation where God starts to speak back to us. You say, really? Listen, when you come close to him, he'll come close to you. The Bible says, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice, and a stranger they will not follow. Would Jesus have said that if he didn't have a voice for us to hear? And how do we hear his voice? Well, we hear it through prayer, but we hear it through the word of God as well. The word of God is given for correction, rebuke, instruction, and growth and righteousness, the Bible says. And so we have the Bible. So we're in the Bible daily. I love the Bible. I love it because every time I read it, the Spirit of God speaks to me. Not only for you, but mostly for me about how I can come close and how I can line up to receive the blessings and, 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 and be a vessel that he can flow through in a, in, a, in a pure way. The word of God protects, but the word of God also blesses us. 
And then if we have that heart to appropriate it, the other thing I would say is obedience. Because you can read the word and you can pray, but unless you have a heart to obey what the word says and purity, ultimately your life, your work will not bless God if purity isn't there. And so these are ways that we come close to God, his word, prayer, and that heart to be obedient in our lives. I, would, I guess I would sum that point up with this. God wants to work in you so that one day he can work through you in a mighty way. So we gotta value him working in us more than him working through us because when he works in us, the, that will create the path to him really working through us to show himself. We like to think that if we do that for a week, it'll all work out. But it really is a lifestyle and it's a pattern. It's being faithful in the little things and understanding that it takes time. Remember Moses? Moses was called to be a great servant of the Lord, but did you know he, he worked on the backside of the desert for 40 years? And he, and he tended sheep. And the Lord built him up in that setting, but eventually as he got older, the Lord released him to these mighty miracles and the writing of the very scriptures as the Spirit of God spoke through him and he penned the Pentateuch, the first five books of the, of the Bible. And, and, but it takes time. Even, even uh, Paul, who was part of the, uh, the, the, the Pharisee crowd and was greatly trained you know, in religious things but didn't have a personal relationship with God. You know, you know to be religious and to have a relationship with Jesus are two different things, right? I mean, you can be religious and have a relationship, but you can also be religious and not have a relationship with Jesus at all. And so he'd been religious, but he gets this relationship with Jesus, and what happens? He's got all this knowledge of the scriptures, but he doesn't instantly head out. The Bible talks about him going to another country and staying there for three years, and I think the Lord was speaking to him, training and building him up before he released him. He already had great knowledge of the scriptures, Paul did, but he didn't have personal experience, and he needed the Holy Spirit to guide and to teach. And, and so, you know, what I'm saying about that is don't expect it to happen in a moment. Just have a heart to be faithful and do the thing that God's put in front of you. And you won't miss, if you'll do the small things that he puts in front of you and you'll be faithful, you won't miss the big things. You just won't. Just be faithful in whatever he's put before you. Nobody can make you miss the things of God if you're faithful because he's bigger than that. I like to say God's been preparing you all your life for what you're just about to do. And everything you're doing right now, there's nothing wasted. Be his. Know him, grow in him, come close to him. You know, Dave Brown didn't get where he's at in the Lord. I'm not talking about basketball now, but I'm talking about in the Lord. Dave Brown was a, um, just so you know, he's a very mature man of God. He was an elder at a very large church in California for many years. Um, he teaches, um, he attends Rolling Hills and, and he and his wife teach marriage classes and Bible classes there. He's a, he's a mature man of God. He didn't get where he is in the Lord uh, by just winning ball games. He got where he's at by being alone with Jesus, by valuing that personal relationship, by loving God with all his heart. And I, I find it interesting as some of you, you, you get a little older, you know, this is the new day and it's really exciting. Man, I'm still excited, 2.10. You know, there's some cool things happening. Did you know the youth group has had 22 salvations in the last several weeks? I mean, that is unbelievable what God is doing. Let's thank the Lord for that. That's amazing. (laughs) 
And did you know that the singles ministry has grown by over 30%? And, and man, there is something happening there. We need to thank the Lord for what God's doing in the singles group too. Praise God. But to reach our, full, our fulfillment, you know, as a group, as individuals, when we have this heart to know Him. Why Billy Graham? I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. You listen to a Billy Graham sermon or crusade back through the years, and it's not really, truly, it, it's profound in the sense that it's the pure gospel, but it's very simple. Why did God choose Billy Graham? I don't know for sure, but let me, let me give you um, a supposition here. I think it's because Billy Graham's the real deal behind the scenes. I think he knows God, he loves God, he's been with God, and his heart is to glorify God. And when that happens in someone's life, when it's really about that, oh, there'll be criticism, there'll be trouble, there'll be heartache, they'll, 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 but if you are faithful through the years, you'll see the Lord do great things. And he might culminate in the, in the greatest showing of his glory later on in your life, not in these very moments now, in our youth. I said our youth. Boy, that was, that was a stretch, wasn't it? I'm not, I'm not sure I have any youth left. But... but Dave Brown, did you know that he had retired for two years? Did you hear me mention that? And he thinks his career's done, and then in a blaze of events and things happening, God has shown glory through his life in the last six years as much as ever, and he's 70 years old today. And he's going strong. I heard someone talking the other day, they were talking about Jane Fonda, but they said, 70's the new 30. <laughs> what? Well, let's take it this way. Don't quit. I love Caleb in the Bible. He was 80 years old. They're doing battle. Some people are saying, I don't want to take the mountain country because you have to fight uphill. And the old fella said, give it to me and my people. We'll take the hill. And the old guy took the hill. Listen, don't quit. There's a lot of great stuff that the Lord will fulfill in your life. Keep being faithful. I don't want to just make it about the big things either because the big things in the world's eyes are something sometimes small to God. And the small things in the world's eyes are sometimes big to God. Like Mordecai Ham. You ever heard that name? Probably not. But he was an evangelist who was in North Carolina speaking to 30 people one night. And he told them to come to Christ and commit their lives and give themselves completely. And that night, amidst the 30, was a young man named Billy Graham who gave his heart completely to Jesus Christ. Who's Mordecai Ham? The world doesn't know, but Jesus does. Jesus knows who you are. And there's so many significant things that he wants to do through your life. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. I want to stop and say that again. This is Paul saying to the people of God, it's me saying to the people of God, it's you saying to yourself, you're believing the word, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. Why are we concerned about him working in us? Because that power doesn't come through us if he doesn't work in us. So we're concerned about the prayer closet. We're concerned about behind the scenes. And we're concerned about our behavior. Why? Because we want the favor of God. We want the blessing of God. We want the power of God to be released through our lives. Look, he'll love you. He loves you when you make mistakes, but there's something about faithfulness. Here's what the, the word says. God honors those who honor him. He loves us all, but he honors those who honor him. 
And, and these are things that, that we, we just need to understand that we must value his working in us in our personal relationship, digging to know him. I pray also that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The same resurrection power that raised Christ is the power that works through us when we come close to him. Value him working in you even more than him working through you. Third thought, to reach your full potential in Christ. And it's right here in the text, and it may seem out of order, but the Bible saw it important enough to speak about. Maintain a positive attitude when things don't go your way. Here's what it says, verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Well, if you're not complaining and arguing, then you're keeping a good attitude in the midst of some, something that's not going your way. Did you ever notice the children of Israel in the Bible and how they had a problem being negative? The Bible, I think it's an awesome word. I don't know if it's in the newer versions, but I, I love the word for, for negativity that it speaks about the children of Israel. They were murmuring. Murmuring. It even sounds bad, you know. That meant they had a negative mindset. They start out on this journey. God delivers them from Egypt. They're all thrilled. They get to the Red Sea and here comes Pharaoh's army and they're all afraid and God parts the sea, the Red Sea and they go across. And then when they all get across, Pharaoh's armies come and, 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 and their, their wickedness, they want to destroy God's people and God allows the Red Sea to close up and all of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's army was destroyed. They had a big dance on the other side and they celebrated for a while. Then just not long after, they got negative. And they said, after singing and praising him, they started murmuring and they said, we don't even have water to drink. God has forsaken us. And they started to murmur. I mean, they just walked through the Red Sea when it was parted. You gotta know God's with you if he parts the waters for you. You might even be a little bit afraid to tell him he's not doing right if you've seen that power. But they murmured even after that and said, we don't have water to drink and God gave them water. And then they murmured shortly after because they didn't like the kind of food that they had. So God gave them food. And, and then they murmured yet again that the land which they were going to was too intimidating. The giants were too big. And they just kept murmuring and murmuring and being negative. Here's a question for you. How did God like that? I'm, ta- I'm gonna talk about you and me now. Because all of us can be negative at times and all of us need to hear this and understand it in the word. Be careful. God didn't like it then and he doesn't like it now. Exodus 16.2 In the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Well, that's a positive confession right there. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted but you have brought us into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Yeah, that's right. That's what the servant of the Lord wanted to do. He wanted you all to die. I mean, it's ridiculous. And probably the enemy's involved because when he hears something negative, he can just work it through a community. So how does he feel about grumbling and negativity today? He's forgiving, right? This is the age of grace, right? Well, yeah, that's true. And yet, let's look at what the New Testament said about the Israelites grumbling and how it might apply to our lives. In 1 Corinthians 10.10, New Testament now. And don't grumble as some of them did, talking about the children of Israel. 
and then were destroyed by the angel of death. I don't think he's saying he's going to kill us if we're negative. I think it's more like negativity is going to kill us if we're not careful. He didn't like it in the Old Testament. He doesn't like negativity, murmuring, and grumbling in the New Testament either. He just doesn't like it. He doesn't like it when we get negative about everything. He doesn't like it when we're negative about our own lives. How would you feel when you hear your teenager say, I don't like myself. Nobody loves me. God doesn't love me. Nobody at school loves me. That breaks your heart, doesn't it? That's how God feels when we get negative. About ourselves? Come on, you're his child. Okay, you've messed up, but that's the past. We're headed to the future. And as we take hold of him now, he gives us a new future and and we start to believe in him, not in ourselves or the people around us. He doesn't like it when we get negative about authority. He didn't like it when they grumbled against Moses. He doesn't like it when we grumble against spiritual authority today. As a matter of fact, he says don't do it in Hebrews because it'd be no advantage to you and it discourages leaders. So he says be careful with this stuff. Now I think there's a place to have a constructive conversation but that's different than negativity that I'm talking about. He doesn't like it when we're negative about him. Now let me speak to that. I see it more and more in this generation than I have in past generations. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. God wouldn't have let that happen if he really loved me. Be careful. It's not true. He does love you. If we're honest, some of our greatest trouble in life comes from our own behavior. If we're really honest, he tells us where the boundaries are. We run beyond beyond them. We get hurt and we say, God, where were you? He was like, I'm giving you a free choice and you decided not to do the right thing. Here's Here's something that surprises Christians today. God doesn't bless our sin. He cares about us. He'll forgive us, but even when we're believers, we sin. He won't bless it. We'll still, we'll still find consequences in it. And God says, look, trust me, follow me. Let me bless your life. And when you start getting negative about him and his heart towards you, remember, negative words are fertile soil for the enemy of our souls to plant his hideous seeds. I want to say that again. Negative words our fertile soil for the enemy of our souls to plant his hideous seeds. He loves negativity. He starts dissension in a family. He starts competition in a church. And he can break it down and hurt the church and hurt people when we get negative. Don't get negative about God working in your life and God caring about you. Here's what God likes. He doesn't want to hear you say, God's not helping me. God doesn't care about me. God's ignoring me. What he wants you to hear you say is, I believe that God loves me. I believe that God has a plan for my life. Okay, it's hard right now. We don't have to deny the reality of circumstances, but he's good and he loves me and he's for me. And I'll stay in his hand and I'll follow him and I'll walk with him. And I have this confidence. He will bring me out on the other side. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fire. All because they were honoring God. And what happens? The only thing that's burned off are the the ropes that bind them. 
And what happens? There's a fourth that looks like the Son of God that's in the fire with him. You may be in the fire, but you hang on to Jesus. You believe God to do something in your life and for your life, and you will eventually see it. It's called faith. It's not, God, you're failing me that moves him. It's, God, I believe in you that moves him. I have faith in you. God likes that. Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So here we're, we're believing God for something we can't see. That's faith. Circumstances are bad, I can't see it, but I'm going to believe him for a good thing. And the second part is profound. For by it, the men of old gained approval. Here's how you gain the approval of God. Have faith in him. Have faith that he's good. That he's loving. I'm not saying you won't be tempted at times to say, God, where are you? I don't get it. I think it's okay to have an honest conversation with him. But we know that when we follow him in faith, even these hard trials in our life can turn to things that are shown for his glory. You can know that if God, you know, sometimes it's our behavior that causes a great trial and sometimes it's not. Bad things can happen to good people. But if God lets a bad thing happen and we trust him, He'll have a plan to show his glory even through your trial where people can say, look at that person. They trusted the Lord and look at the result. They have peace in their hearts and ultimately they get victory. Be careful with your words. God says in Matthew 12, 36, but I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. It didn't say unbelievers. You know, there's a judgment seat uh, for Christians, too. There's a great white throne judgment. It's a judgment for all unbelievers in the world that'll happen someday. But then there's the Bema seat judgment, and that's the judgment for Christians, where we're all going to be saved, but our works will be tried. And evidently, when we get there, the words we have spoken somehow matter. And we're judged for them. It doesn't mean we're condemned for them, but it says, be careful with your words. Don't be careless. That's interesting, isn't it? I find it interesting that we're not judged for thoughts we speak necessarily, but for words we speak. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So every one of us are going to have the temptation to say something negative. And if we're honest, we've all given way to the temptation way too much in our lives already. But we're growing. We're becoming, right? Right? And so we don't say, yeah, I'm just not that kind of person. What? You don't have to have the fruit of Christ in your life? You get to skip it and the rest of us have to grow, but not, but not you? We all need to grow in the fruit of God, in the things of God. So if God says, watch your words, and then he says, take that thought captive, that means that you're going to have thoughts sometimes that are negative. You want to speak them. I had a brother speak to me between services. He said, I was so mad at some people at work this week, and I wanted to say something, I didn't, but I didn't say it. And I said, there you go. You took the thought captive. You overcame the temptation and you won. Now there'll be words that are direct that you speak. There's a sermon for another day about how to approach people and, and deal with things that are hard or wrong. And yet we need to make sure that we're dealing with things properly. With the perspective that God cares about the other people and God wants healing here and he's not interested in you being right as much as he is in you being righteous. That goes for all of us. So we take thoughts captive that are negative and we, we, we're, we're careful with our words. 
And God says that's going to be a big part of your success, whether you're successful. You have faith in him, you trust in him, you keep that positive focus on, on, on that he has a plan and he'll, he'll help and you keep praying and, and you'll have more victory than people who get negative. A matter of fact, I'm telling you, some people are stumped in their lives and never reach their potential because of their mouths. Have you ever been around people who, you're not around them long and everything starts getting negative. Everything about their lives, you hear that. Which that can be cool, we can pray for one another, right? But every time we get together, everything about somebody else or some situation or work that's not going right. I'm going to tell you, if you get around negative people for long, you won't want to be around them for long. Because it's no fun. And, 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 it's, and it's not healthy, it's not right. So I read something this week that I think kind of puts this in a nutshell. It's much wiser to choose what you say than to say what you choose. You know, the person who says, well, I, I felt great that I finally said it. Well, maybe you felt great, but the situation's gonna be much worse now. And you're only gonna feel good for a moment and it's gonna be a lot worse in the long run. Be careful with your words. One of the little disciplines that we can have is to say, uh, when we have that thought, Lord, is that something you would want me to say at this moment? I mean, I just pray that sometimes. I probably don't pray it enough, but I do at times. Sometimes you'll say, yeah, I don't want you to say that. (laughs) I can just sense that from his presence and his spirit. And so as we're careful, we protect the blessing of the Lord in our lives and we protect those around us. The Bible says be careful when you get negative or your words will cause a a root of bitterness to rise up among people. Thought. I had a friend once who was eating with his daughter, excuse me, and he was a a youth pastor and they were having dinner at home and he started speaking about some of the people at church and he had a five-year-old girl that was sitting there, his daughter couple of girls and spoke negative for a while and then his daughter said, Daddy, as she was eating, does that mean we don't like them anymore? I said, oh, oh, no, honey, that, that doesn't mean we, you know, the mouths of babe, that doesn't mean we don't like them, we, we love them. She said, well, does that mean God doesn't like them anymore? Now he's realizing these are not words he should have spoken, right? And if you're not careful, I'm going to tell you something. Some Christians unaware have caused their kids to despise the church. You're going to talk negative about everybody at church? Your kid's going to want to be there? You find the perfect church, you go there. But you'll ruin it when you get there because they won't be perfect anymore. The truth is there's no perfect church. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect person. And the Bible speaks of love and, 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 and uh, being being a blessing to others with our words. Well, fourth thing, live clean and innocent lives. Philippians 2.15 says just that. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Okay, so there are people who say, I love God, and then they are quietly in sin behind the scenes, and it's publicly exposed someday. Devastating. It's devastating to the followers of Christ. The public has a frenzy with it. The unsaved in the world. And God says, I I want it to be important to you to to live clean so that you shine like a bright light 
I want to read to you a guest survey. Every week we have visitors come in. You guys are good to the visitors here and guests. And you treat them just like they just got home. And I love that about you. And here's a story where it's uh, that, that good heart that you have came out. Guest survey I just got this week. What most influenced your decision to attend Horizon? And here's what this visitor said. My neighbor attends and I like the way he lives and treats people. Their family is very honest and respect everyone. Also, he's a man of integrity. That's why he came to church. That's the way that it works. If we love and we serve and we care and we live clean, something about that draws people to Jesus Christ. What was the most memorable thing about your visit at Horizon? And here's what the same person said. The way I felt walking in the door. There was just zero fakeness or people posturing to be seen or heard. People were just happy to see you. That's how Jesus is. He treated every person he met like they were the most important person in the world. And we're getting better at it. We're not there yet, but we're getting better. And God is seen when we become more like him. 1 Peter 2.12 says this, Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join the celebration when he arrives. That's from the translation called the message, but I like that. What we want, we, we don't want to get all political and argue with people about differences and conservative and liberal and... You know, that's, that, that's a political conversation, not a, not a Jesus conversation. I understand God can work through politics, and that, that'll be a talk that I talk about the other, you know, another day. Government, you know, godliness exalts a nation. I understand all that. But if you're getting together with your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, and you're arguing about conservative and liberal, you're missing it. Because it's about Jesus. That's what we're about. We're about Jesus. And once people get Jesus in their hearts, perspectives change. And so we need to love people. And we need to have this heart to see them go to heaven with us. And it's as if some people would like, that are believers would like to see them go to hell. That is not the heart of God. He's not willing that any should perish, but he wants all to be saved. And they're drawn by his love, by the kindness of his people, and by our hearts to care for people. Fifth thought today that comes from the word. Hold firmly to the word of life. And that comes directly from this translation. Hold firmly, Philippians 2.16, to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. The pastor is saying here, the evangelist is saying, I've invested in you, I've given you the word of God. Now hold firmly to the word of God, the scriptures. We need to understand that it's not just a good book, it is the book. It is the inspired word of God. The Holy Spirit wrote it. It's his heart as he put it through the pen of man, but onto paper. It was was God who brought it. How do we know? Because it's time tested. Because it was written by people in the New Testament who are eyewitnesses who walked with him, who talked to him. Because these books were examined and surveyed by the church leaders in that day. And hundreds of them 
said this one holds true to the teachings of Christ. This one was an eyewitness. This, this man lived a godly life. We can trust this word. And God brought, canonized the scriptures, is what they call it, and brought it together. And, and, and it was done in an awesome process. But how we know is time-tested. It changes lives. And it's amazing. It's the number one best-selling book in the world every year. It's just written in scores of versions, so you never see it that way. It's life-changing. It's God's love letter to us. Hold firmly to it. So let me just choose a spot. Sexuality. Hold firmly to the word of God. The Bible says, I don't even want there to be a hint of sexual immorality among you. That doesn't seem to be the attitude that a lot of Christians are taking today. Not even a hint. Well, God's forgiving and he's loving and even though, uh, you know, that person's in pornography, God, God will forgive them and love them. Look, that pornography will destroy their marriage. That pornography makes the beautiful union that God wanted between man and woman in marriage sexually in bed. He made it pleasurable for a reason. I got news for you. Sex as a Christian is better than anything that the world has to offer because there's no intimacy in what they're talking about. It's all about physical pleasure, but the intimacy that God has between a man and a woman who are committed to one another and totally love one another and are there for one another in the seat of of their affection, their eyes are only upon each other. There is intimacy and the beauty of what God originally intended. 20 years of ministry, I can tell you several places where pornography destroyed marriages. And so we say, well, a little bit of flirting with the opposite sex, it's okay. No, it's not. It's, it's not okay if you're married. This, this is the place that you keep your heart. Is, it's just your wife's. It's just your husband's. You don't give somebody emotionally that, that place of intimacy. I'm speaking of these things in a general sense to say that when the word of God gives us caution, we should be careful not to cross those boundaries. God didn't come to take away your fun. He came to take away your pain. With the enemy, it's short-term pleasure. You can enjoy sin for a season, but the end result is destruction. Short-term pleasure with the enemy, but long-term pain because he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And where God, there's discipline for a season, but then you get to see the blessing of what he originally wanted for you. And it's all in the love letter. It's all in the manual, not to hurt you, but to bless you. Trust the word of God. Have a heart to be to have ready obedience to the word of God. Let it speak to you, not just to someone else. I read it and I see a place where my heart isn't quite right. Or I see something that would speak to me and convict me because the Holy Spirit convicts, right? He doesn't condemn, but he does convict. And he's trying to tell us, no, I want your heart in the right place so that I can bless you and those around you. And when we take those things and we pray and we say, Lord, I want more of you. I want to be like you. I want to be pure. I want, I want to be blessed by you, but I want to be a blessing for you too. And we hold firmly to the word, believing that it's the guide that will bring blessing to our lives. Then we start to get victory. So if you say, I want to do great things for God, but I, I, I don't want to honor the word, you will not do the great things that God has planned for your life if you don't honor the word with your life. Years ago, a TV news camera crew was <clears throat> on assignment in southern Florida filming the widespread destruction for Hurricane Andrew. And in one scene, amid the devastation and debris, stood a house 
on its foundation, all the other houses around it were gone. And the owner was cleaning up the yard when the reporter approached him and said, Sir, why is your house the only one standing? How did you manage to escape the severe damage of the hurricane? And the old fellow said this, I built this house myself. I also built it according to the Florida State Building Code. When the code called for two-by-six trusses, I used two-by-six trusses. I was told that a house built according to the code could withstand a hurricane. I did, and it did. I suppose no one else around here followed the code. You know, our lives are like that when it comes to God building us through the Word. If you choose to to do something other than the direction He'll give you, you can do that. You have free will. I can do that. That's not going to be a good course for us in the long run. Because when trouble comes, the house will collapse. If that seems like a stretch, listen to Matthew 7, 24. Everyone who hears my words and obeys them. This is positive now. Is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So not just hearing the word, but doing the word. Everyone who hears and obeys is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It rained hard and the floods came and the winds blew and hit that house. But it did not fall because it was built on the rock. Everyone who hears my words and does not obey them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. It rained hard, the floods came, and the winds blew and hit that house And it fell with a big crash. You know what God's saying to us today? He's saying, I want you to have the success that I have planned for your life. I want you to reach the fulfillment of the dream that I have for you. I want you to follow me in these ways and you won't miss the amazing journey that I have for you. He cares about you. He loves you. He has a plan for your life and you can fulfill it as you trust him and follow him.